Today's episode is brought to you in part by The Deepman Files, a paranormal mystery podcast, which we think our listeners will enjoy. The Deepman Files follows head researcher JB and pyrokinetic powerhouse Ash as they set out on paranormal investigations, seeking out everything from spirits of scientists to bunny-shaped beings on a bridge. Each episode covers a case from parapsychologist Dr. Dietman's personal files as he reviews his team's work in an attempt to see where it all went wrong. The Dietman Files is a fully voiced audio drama out now on most major podcasting networks. The Midwest Crime Files is an unscripted true crimes podcast. In it, we discuss heinous crimes and how they are committed. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to the Midwest Crime Files. I'm your host, Gina. And I'm Chris. We're here to tell you the stories of small towns and the heinous crimes that change them forever. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 2. This story is called Death at the Dance Store, The Murder of Amy Blumberg. On New Year's Eve, 1999, Amy Blumberg was on winter break from her classes at Eastern Illinois University where she was a junior. She had plans to ring in the new millennium with friends that night, but Amy failed to show up. Her friends started to call her parents who went to check on her at her aunt and uncle's dance store in O'Fallon, Illinois. Amy was supposed to close the store at 6 p.m. that evening, but when her parents pulled in the parking lot at nearly 9 p.m., Amy's car was still there. And the front door of the store was still open. So it was very concerning. As they searched the back of the store, they noticed blood. A lot of blood. Amy was dead. Amy Jennifer Blumberg was born September 28, 1979 in Belleville, Illinois. She grew up in Collinsville, graduating from Collinsville High School in 1997. She enrolled in Eastern Illinois University, where she was a junior at the time of her death. She left behind numerous friends and family members, including her parents and brother. Amy's friends and sorority sisters at Eastern Illinois University celebrated her life shortly after her death in a special memorial on campus. And I have a quote um, from her roommate. She said, quote, How lucky I was to live with her for the past six months, and now how quiet it really is without her in the room, end quote. Amy was loved by those who knew her, and no one could fathom, like, who would do this? Why would they do it? It just didn't make any sense. Police arrived at the dance store the night of the murder at a little bit after 9 p.m., on December 31st, 1999. So while many people are worried about Y2K and and all of these different things that, you know, with the new millennium coming, Amy's parents had like the worst thing ever, like your biggest fear imaginable that something would happen to your child. Right. At first, the store looked to be in proper order. But investigators moved towards the back of the store and they saw blood on the doorway to the back hallway, which led to the bathrooms. Blood was also found near the cash register and on an outfit that hung nearby the register. It did not appear the store had been robbed, however. There was nothing of value missing. There was nothing apparently missing from the cash register either. The blood trail down the hall led to the men's bathroom where Amy's pants and underwear were found. The blood trail then continued further down the hallway to the women's bathroom where Amy's lifeless body lay in a pool of her own blood. And it's shitty because they said that there's no motive. Like, it didn't look like it was robbed or anything either. Right. Amy had a single gunshot wound to her head from a thirty-eight caliber pistol. They had the bullet, which was still inside the store. She was found with only her top on, suggesting a sexual assault had occurred. 
That, along with the fact that nothing was missing, really indicated this was a sexually motivated crime. Several hairs were collected from the scene that did not belong to Amy. The O'Fallon Police Department quickly called in the Greater St. Louis Major Case Squad to assist in this investigation. So if you don't know what the Major Case Squad is, um, they take detectives from various police departments in the area. And so for Greater St. Louis, it's like St. Louis and like the counties in Missouri that are directly surrounding it, as well as Madison, St. Clair counties. Right. They take their detectives that way because a lot of these areas... Because don't even, have a whole lot of detectives because they don't have a whole lot of homicides. Yeah. And so this puts together like the dream team. Yeah. And, you know, St. Louis, yes, it's a big city, but it's like a little big city. Right. Like it's a big city light. So we have just combined resources down here. And so whenever they do this, they have to call them in um, within, I think, like 48 hours of the crime. And then the major case squad usually only stays assembled for about five days. So it's very limited. Upon learning of Amy's death, a man came forward who had been in the store that afternoon. He estimated that he was in the store between 1 p.m. and 2 p.m. He said he was there to exchange his daughter's leotard with another one because the one he had previously purchased didn't fit her right. He said while at the dance store, his daughter tried on several items and he kind of chatted with Amy a little bit. He said there was another man in the store that day, too, who he was able to give a pretty good physical description of, and they created a sketch from that. Police also noted that at 2.26 p.m., the cash register completed its final transaction for the day, and it was a little girl's leotard. Police asked anyone who was in the store that afternoon to come forward and, you know, just... Come forward and say, what did you see? When did you see it? Were you that last other man in the store? Like, they didn't know if that person was a suspect or just maybe another witness. So this photo that we have on the blog, is that of the dance studio? It is. So it's not a studio. It was just a store. Is that where are the girls get their braces at? No, but it is close by. Okay, because lo- I was like, that looks like eerily familiar too. Right, right. It's not. Um, it's not part of like a strip mall or anything. It's a, a standalone building, but it's actually a duplex building, even though there's three doors. Right. My understanding is it's a duplex building. Okay. The dance store entrance was that middle entrance. Okay. Detectives determined that Amy likely died before 6 p.m. because otherwise she would not have still been at the store. So she was working at her aunt and uncle's store. Um, they had told her, you know, if it's not busy, I mean, it's New Year's Eve, it's probably not going to be a real busy day. If you want to close early, you can even close earlier than six. So they knew that she had to have died before six o'clock because otherwise she wouldn't have been there, period. Um, and they knew that she had to have died after 226 because that's when she made her final sale. So we've narrowed down this time of death to 226 p.m. to 6 p.m. The coroner then estimated the time of death to be approximately 4 p.m. So unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, because this was a standalone building, there wasn't as many witnesses as there would have been if this was like in a strip mall or the mall. Um, But at the same time, the witnesses that were there, like any cars in that parking lot, they could narrow it down a lot easier because the other occupant of that um, building was actually closed that day. Right. So the dance store was the only store open. So it's sort of a catch 22. It's helpful, but then in some ways it's Hurtful. not helpful. <laughs> Over the next few days, a reward fund for information leading to the arrest of Amy's killer grew. Multiple leads were reported in relation to the sketch released by police of the male customer described by the man and his daughter. The murder scene seemed like a random attack, likely with no personal connection to the victim. Detectives considered if the case could have been related to a string of similar murders along I-70 in the early 1990s. So I don't know, Chris, have you ever heard of the I-70 serial killer? You know I haven't. (laughs) So um, there was a killer that murdered several store clerks in independent small little stores like this 
along I-70. Um, to this day, he has never been arrested. And I mean, it's it fit similarly because it seemed like he would just pick people, usually women, young women working alone in a small sort of boutique-ish kind of store. Right. Um, so, I mean, that part was similar. But, you know, O'Fallon is not along I-70. Don't get me wrong. It's not terribly far from I-70. It's far enough, though, where it's gonna, you're, you have to make a little trip, though. Right. Like, he would have had to kind of search for that. Right. So... It didn't make a whole lot of sense, and there really wasn't any evidence to to really connect Amy's murder to the I-70 killer, but it was something that was considered. Let's, like, take a moment here to, like, I love how they're like, oh, it kind of, it fits the MO, and it looks like the killing. Like, the ability for police to be able to be like, oh, this is the same killer. Like, how many millions of killings has there been in the history of the world, but yet you can find, like, similarities in serious, like, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like, just, like, little minute details. Like, oh, it's only at little boutiques and along this road and along this. Like, it's, I like, that's what makes me, like, that's what I get interested, like, it interests me so much about these kind of cases. Right. And I can see where, like, maybe that was considered, but right. if it was the I-64 killer, I'd say for sure, because this building is very close to 64. Was there an I-64 killer? Not that I know of. Oh, I thought you... I was just saying, if the... Right. Yeah. One tip came in from another O'Fallon, Illinois business. This woman was working on December 31st, 1999, and she described a man who matched the sketch that was in the paper. She said that he was in her business that day, and he was acting very weird, kind of creeping her out, and he kept asking her if she was working alone. So, like, yeah, that's not creepy at all. That's that's super creepy. He made her really uncomfortable, and she wondered if um, she had escaped being a victim that day, you know? And I think that's a good possibility. A second sketch was created and circulated by this woman, and again, no suspects were identified. Unfortunately... Amy's murder went cold and the years started to pass. At the third anniversary of Amy's death, her mother told the Belleville News Democrat, quote, The only thing I can do is remind people that this is still unsolved and any information they can provide about Amy's murder could be the key to solving the case, end quote. By the end of 2003, someone would bring information forward finally leading to a break in the murder of Amy Blumberg. The call to the O'Fallon Police Department at the end of 2003 led to follow-up calls and a meeting with this anonymous tipster's attorney. The attorney was representing a woman in a divorce case named Dawn Phillips. She stated that her estranged husband, Edward Phillips, owned a 38 caliber pistol. Additionally, She said that he came home the night of the murder with blood on his clothing. He had told his wife that he had moved a dead animal off the road, but Dawn had her suspicions. He also told her that he had purchased items in that very store where Amy was working earlier that day. And he went on to tell his wife that he went and bought their young daughter a leotard around 2 30 so he would have been the customer for her final sale right and he said that you know as he was leaving and he sort of lived um probably about 40 miles east of o'fallon but he was driving through o'fallon he said as he as he was on his way home he thought oh this may not fit her so he said he turned around went back to the store to return it and when he entered There wasn't anybody there, but then he saw some blood and he said he followed it and he saw Amy's body, but he was scared. So he left. Oh, bull. Oh, my God. Right. Like how fuck. Okay. It it gets weirder. It gets so weirder. Edward Phillips was born March 7th, 1966. He married his wife, Dawn, in 1993 and became a father to two daughters. Dawn was employed by the Illinois Department of Corrections. 
Edward worked as a maintenance equipment operator also for the Illinois Department of Corrections. And you were scared of a little blood? Right. Or like, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't a little blood, but like, that's what made you turn around. Like, your story makes no fucking sense anymore. Right. Like, you are, quote unquote, police official, police officer kind of person, and you didn't think to call the cops immediately afterward? Well, it gets worse. So, he was the driver of a truck that delivered meat to Illinois prisons. Um, and because everybody was afraid of Y2K, and if you're too young to know what that is, you're going to have to Google it. Um, <laughs> Something we didn't have in Y2K. Right. Um, but everybody was afraid of that. So, like, on New Year's Eve and the days before, like, all these prisons wanted their meat delivered. Because I guess they were afraid of, like, mass chaos on January right. 1st. So, he was working, you know, that whole entire day. Um, the Both Don and Edward were firearm enthusiasts, so they owned lots of guns. But in late 2003, the couple was undergoing divorce proceedings. And during this divorce process, Edward was arrested and he was charged with burglary perjury in obstructing justice in relation to the divorce proceedings. He was sentenced to eight years for these crimes and was in prison actually when Dawn came forward with what she suspected was her soon-to-be ex-husband's involvement in Amy Blumberg's murder. I wonder what took her so long to make the connection, like, or so, to at least... Like, Apparently, give a she was like afraid of him, and so it wasn't until he was in custody that she felt comfortable. Right, and she did it through her lawyer. Police began to investigate Phillips for two weeks before they arrested him on January sixteenth, two thousand and four, and charged him with Amy's murder. The prosecutors noted that Dawn looked extremely similar to Amy Blumberg. So, you know, did he? target her because she reminded him of his wife right which i mean in 99 they were supposedly happy happily married right however the defense said the information leading to the arrest came from a bitter ex-wife and was not based on any factual information so they're basically saying this is all part of her game in this divorce proceeding and custody battle right um the family of Amy Blumberg did not want to wait years for justice. They had already been, you know, waiting for four years to to get anything, you know, an arrest out of this case. And so they didn't want to extend this like they would if the state pursued the death penalty. So you got to remember, this is 2004. So, yes, Governor Ryan had commuted all those sentences. But he was already... But it was still in place. Right. New people could still be sentenced. Um, so they agreed that they did not want Edward Phillips to face the death penalty. And so th they took that off the table. Okay. But this was still a case where he was eligible for life in prison without parole. Phillips admitted to police that he was in the area that day. And he was that final customer at 2.25, 2.26 p.m. Phillips lived in Mount Sterling, Illinois, and he said that he had bought a leotard for his daughter that day, but he came back and returned it because he wanted to get a refund. He didn't think it was going to fit her, his daughter. He said that when he came in, like I said earlier, he didn't see anybody, but the store was open and he went towards the back and he found Amy's body. He said he panicked and left the store. And he said on the way home, he disposed of his 38 caliber pistol because it was unregistered and he didn't want to get in trouble for having an unregistered gun. Oh, go fuck yourself. So you got rid of the, like, you're just digging yourself a great, like, your own hole. Right. Like, oh, you got rid of the exact caliber of pistol that was used to shoot her. Right. On your way home and you were the last person. Like, please, just it, at this point, admit to this shit. Exactly. Quit fucking around and pissing everybody off but he adamantly denied he killed amy before edward phillips went to trial his attorney motioned to have 
evidence suppressed that was found in his trailer. This included medicine droppers, leg shackles, duct tape, and pornography. The defense said that the evidence was not relevant to the murder and was not um, because they said the murder was not sexually motivated. I disagree with that, but um, I can see where maybe this evidence isn't really relevant necessarily. I mean, she wasn't shackled or duct taped or anything, so I don't I, I guess I can kind of see that point. Yeah, I mean, yes, it's a we see that it's a sexually motivated crime but i don't see how that all would tie into like not unless they're going for like deviancy or but see then that's unduly prejudicial you know just because just because you like some kink you know? i get it i know i i understand I, I see it both ways um i could not find an actual ruling to say if the evidence was ruled out However, when I was reviewing the trial transcripts, I didn't see anything mentioned about it, so I'm assuming it was barred. Okay. During the trial, Kenneth and Susan Blumberg testified. They explained that they had started receiving phone calls around 6 p.m. from Amy's friends because she had failed to show up for the New Year's Eve party. They tried to call the store and reach Amy, but they were not successful. They described going to the store... And having that sinking feeling when they saw Amy's vehicle there. And then, of course, when they found Amy's body. Her father recalled telling his wife that they were too late upon finding their daughter. God dang, that's a shitty. Yeah, I mean, her father found her body. How horrible. Yeah. Like, that's got to scar you for the rest of your life. It's just, ugh. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Next, Amy's aunt testified that she permitted Amy to close the store around 2 if the business was slow that day. The last recorded sale at the store occurred at 2.25 p.m. and was a child's black leotard. And it's shitty because he was probably in there. Mm-hmm. Like, and like the last customer that like probably before probably 2. Probably waiting for that man yeah. and his daughter to leave. Right. And then just fuck and she was probably like get the hell out of here so i can go yeah like i've got shit to do tonight guy like either shit or get off the pot like buy something or don't like right at this point i just want to go like we've all been there if you've worked retail it's slow as shit it's like good god man like why are you coming in here when i know i can just go home right and i got a party i got a party right. like it's 1999 it's New Year's Eve. oh man he's singing guys help me one of the responding officers testified next that upon entering the store, they found the trail of blood and blood splattering on the floor of the hallway. He described the blood found in the men's restroom with the trail continuing to the women's restroom. The body of Amy was found dead inside the women's restroom. Crime scene technician Alva Bush testified that he saw Amy's keys and purse on top of the counter in the store. So she was probably like ready to freaking walk out and this guy ambushed her. He said the cash register had not been disturbed and no money seemed to have been stolen. He also testified to the blood trail as well as finding nylon pants, underwear, socks and tennis shoes in the men's restroom. He also found a tampon on the floor next to the urinal. He testified that Amy was found nude from the waist down with her legs spread. He testified to the collection of several hairs and fibers. Another detective testified that he searched Dawn and Edward's home following the tips of his involvement. They found a gun box for a 38 caliber pistol, but it was empty and they were never able to find the pistol. They found ammunition, however, that matched the bullet at the crime scene. Um, the man who sold Edward Phillips the 38 caliber pistol testified to selling that gun to him, and he was able to present a signed bill of sale signed by Phillips. So we know for sure he owned it. Yeah, and it, it there goes your whole theory of it being unregistered. Right. Because, you know, in Illinois, we don't have to register, we don't have to register pistol like pistols and 
that's pretty much saying, hey, guys, it was bought clean and clear. You know, whenever you're talking about unregistered pistols, quote unquote, mm-hmm. it's like something illegal. Like, or you bought it from a friend of a friend, you know, kind of a deal. Right. Bitch, you bought this shit from a freaking gun store and you have the exact ammunition that was used to like in the murder. Right. But I got rid of it because I was scared. And how, why would you get rid of it if you're scared? How did you know she was shot by a 38? Exactly. exactly let's get that like let's put that into the the ether too like oh so you just randomly threw the same caliber gun that you had no clue that that's what but because remember you didn't stick around you saw the blood right you You wouldn't have even necessarily knew she was shot Shot, but you got rid of that 38 that yeah that matched everything but, but we can't we don't know where it went to exactly fucking bastard Dr. Raj Nanduri, the medical examiner. Hey, that's the name we know and love on this podcast. Oh, yes. Um, Testified that Amy suffered multiple injuries. She had bruises and scrapes on various parts of her body, including her knee, hip, and upper arm. She also had bruises on her breast. Amy died of a gunshot wound at close range. The bullet entered the back of her left ear and exited the front of her skull near her right ear. According to Dr. Nanduri, the gunshot would have caused immediate death. So if there's any saving grace, at least she didn't suffer like a prolonged death. Yeah, she only had to be like raped and shit beforehand, though. Like, well, no, I know, I'm not I, saying I'm just, that. Like, I'm she just wasn't tortured, like, but like, son of a bitch. It like, could have she... been like more prolonged and painful for her. Right. Edward Phillips' fingerprints, palm prints, and DNA were not discovered at the crime scene, unfortunately. Hairs on Amy's nylon pants were consistent with Amy, but other hairs that were found were not consistent with her or Edward Phillips. However, a hair found on Amy's ankle was found to be consistent with Edward Phillips' DNA profile. How would that hair get there? How would that hair get there, Edward? She, right. just, she just randomly just said, fuck it. The, the killer had that one hair and it's like, oh, just ankle. I will say, though, like... It's shitty. Like, it's the very... forensics are not great. No. I mean, they weren't able to find, like, seminal fluid or fingerprints, palm prints, nothing like that. Right. And there were hairs on her that... On her pants that were not consistent with either her or the killer, well, but... Well, and we she's also, been wearing these pants all day. I mean, you could probably pull hairs off me right now from my dogs and probably my daughters and probably you. And right. Well, let's let's also say like this is December thirty first, nineteen ninety nine, in Southern Illinois. It's cold as shit in Southern Illinois. Late December, early January. Right. So he's probably got gloves on. You That's know. That's true. He's probably got maybe a ball ca- like some kind of hat on, possibly. Like this is just. Yeah. Speculation banner. But, I mean, the forensics certainly weren't terribly conclusive. Now, this hair that was found on her ankle, I get it. That point, like, that points to him. But at the same time, if we're saying all these other hairs could have gotten on her pants just by happenstance. So could have this. Right. Well, So the forensics are not rock solid. Yeah. It's, this is a little shaky. It's a little shaky. The defense theorized that Dawn and Edward were going through a terrible divorce and custody battle. Edward claimed to have evidence that Dawn was abusing their children. And he said that she had made several threats that she would incriminate him in the murder of Amy Blumberg if he wasn't nice to her. However, other witnesses poked holes in the theory of the bitter estranged wife out to get the soon to be ex-husband. So let's go back to that for a second. Even if she made a threat like that, they live not close to this crime. There had to be something to it for her to to even threaten him with that. Right. Like, you wouldn't just randomly pick a murder from four years ago that's not even close to your home. Right. And be like, I'm going to incriminate you in this if you don't. Like, that doesn't even make sense. You know, unless there was something to it. Maybe she did threaten him. Right. Because she knew there was incriminating evidence because she knew he was involved. A friend of Edwards Phillips testified that Edward told her that he had been in O'Fallon on the day of the murder. He had stopped to buy his daughter a leotard. 
He said he later thought the leotard wouldn't fit, so he brought it back to the store. And when he couldn't find the clerk, he eventually found her dead in the bathroom. So the same story that his wife is saying. At least he's consistent consistent with being a fucking dumbass. Right. Like, at least you're consistent, my dude. He told this friend that he had blood on his clothes and his hands, and he stopped at a gas station to wash his hands and throw the leotard away. He admitted to lying to his wife about the source of the blood, telling her he had moved a dead animal off the road. He said that Dawn was going to blackmail him, but he was innocent. The defendant's former neighbor testified that Edward told him that he met a girl named Amy who looked very similar to his wife. Edward later told him the same story of purchasing the leotard, returning, finding Amy's body, blah, 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 blah. He told this neighbor that he panicked and fled the scene, and he said he threw his gun out the window of the truck on the way home. So again, confirming everything that his ex-wife is telling us. He said the gun matched the gun used in the murder. So Edward told his neighbor, I threw my gun out because it matched the gun used in the murder. Well, how would you, you fucking know? How would you fucking know that it matched the gun in the murder if you didn't even know that she was murdered by a gun? Right. Or even if you did, how would you know? Right. What caliber gun? Because obviously he didn't find the bullet. Right. You or know, he would have taken it. Or he also would have taken it. But God, what a moron. Right. Another friend testified that Edward told him the same story, adding that the defendant feared his wife would tell authorities during their divorce proceedings. So, and let's go back a minute. He told this neighbor that he met a girl named Amy who looked like his wife, not this random store clerk. No, I met a girl. So that to me already tells me that he was like fantasizing about right. her. Definitely at that point. Yeah. So Dawn, Edward's ex-wife, um, her father testified that in January 2000, Dawn and Edward came to him and explained what Edward claimed happened on New Year's Eve. He again said that he found Amy's body, but that he wasn't involved. His father-in-law encouraged him to contact police, but Edward refused. Okay, so now I have an issue with this. If the, if, if you knew in January of 2000 that this shit, like that he said that, oh, I found the body. And mm-hmm. shit. Motherfuckers, you have a responsibility. Like, no, don't, you don't call, like, don't tell him to call the fucking cops. You call the goddamn cops. Right. Like at that point in time, that's bullshit. You made oh, yeah. a family wait three extra years before you, like, I, I understand that Don might have been, like, scared or something. Right. But Jesus, like, come on, guys. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's just, it's one of those things where they say, if you know something, say something. It's for shit like this. When people know things, and even if they believed him that he wasn't involved, you knew something. You should have came forward. Right. Even if it was a couple months later or something, you know? Right. Like, shit. Exactly. Dawn testified as well, explaining that she saw blood on her husband when he returned home that night. Her husband told her, like I said earlier, that he had moved a dead animal off the road. She said that Edward threw the clothing he had on away. So, if you moved a dead animal, unless it was... I guess if it was really saturated, you might throw it away. The clothing? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what kind of animal are we talking about? Is it a deer? Because I'm not bear hugging a deer to pick it up to get blood all over my shit. I'll grab it by the legs and just drag it. It's a, if it's a wreck, like anything lower than deer, you just pick it up and you freaking chuck it. Right. You know, like, I don't see how, unless maybe the deer was completely obliterated by another truck, but then you just go around it. Like, what's the point of moving it at that point? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, there is so many holes in this man's fucking story. Oh, yeah. And so many things that he has said and told people that have pointed the finger directly at him. It's like, you're a moron. Right. Like, you know how, like... Uh, in some of your guys, like case, like some of the case file shows, like Law and Order or something, like oh well, he knew something about the like the crime scene that was never released to the to the mm-hmm. press. Bitch, you were telling people like the day after. Right, right, yeah. He's not the smartest. No, for sure. 
Dawn also said that Edward worked that night delivering items to prisons. Like I said earlier, they were anticipating catastrophic Y2K, which turned out to be a bunch of goobly gook and never actually happened. He got home around 2 a.m. and slept in the next day. And then he told his wife the story of finding Amy's body. So she knew New Year's Day. Like, if he was abusive, I get you might have been a little scared. But damn. Jesus Christ. I mean, she's really bordering on obstruction of justice. Yeah. He said to his wife that he could not get the images out of his head. He also told his wife that he saw a man in a track suit with a duffel bag leaving the store when he arrived to exchange the leotard. So he's creating this, you know, possible suspect. The third person. Right. In 2002, Edward Phillips was diagnosed with colon cancer and underwent surgery and chemotherapy. His wife said that at that point, she just focused on his illness and recovery and kind of pushed the incident out of her focus. Well, it's already been two years. It sounds like it was already out of her focus. She did not believe that her husband was involved in the murder at that time. But in 2003, when the couple split up, Edward sought full custody of their two young daughters. Dawn admitted that she threatened to tell authorities that he failed to report this crime on New Year's Eve 1999. All right, Dawn, you're a fucking bitch. Like, and I'm sorry if it's somebody that listens to this podcast, you're a bitch. You knew the day after that it happened. And it wasn't until you got something, like, you were going to get something out of it. You, you kept on threatening and threatening and threatening. Motherfucker. Like, goddamn, you knew this shit. And you're like, oh, well, it's not beneficial to me if my husband was involved in a fucking murder and a rape, possible rape of a fucking, you know, college age student. 20 year old. Fuck that. Oh, no, it doesn't benefit me at all. But wait, wait, we're getting divorced and you want custody of my kids. I'm going to be like, oh, I saw you with blood and you've told me that you saw her body. Oh, oh woe is me. Bitch, are you fucking kidding me? This is what pisses me off about people and why yep. I always like and why I say freaking fucking say shit. If you see something, say something. If you know something, say something. Because goddamn, like there's no way in hell that this family should have waited for three extra years when you knew the day after that this shit happened. Right. Like, come on, people. It doesn't. It takes nothing to be kind. It costs you nothing. It costs you zero. It doesn't do a damn thing to you morally. Right. If you, if it's that fucked up and like, are you not questioning your husband at this point? Like, well, why didn't you call the cops if you saw a dead fucking body in a store covered in blood? My opinion, she knew he was guilty. Otherwise, why would you keep it a secret? Okay. So if you knew he's fucking guilty, then why are, then why are you keeping it secret so long? Well, I I, think, I don't give a fuck about happy marriages or shit like that. I think I if, have to agree with you. Like, it's possible maybe he was abusive and she didn't feel safe. But I don't really believe that if she's threatening him. I think it probably had to do with she didn't want to get her husband in trouble. I'm sorry. But if, then if you we're tell getting me, divorced and now it helps me. If so. you tell me a fucked up story that, oh, I found a dead body and I just came home and I'm covered in blood. But it's an animal that I drug, drug off the road. Right. Bitch, I'm calling nine one one and getting the cops, and I'm gonna, I'm, I'm holding you at gunpoint and being like, ha 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 ha, she did something, she fucking did something, fuck this, no, like there is no, I love you, like, and this is just me, kind of me talking to Gina, I love you so much, but there's nothing in this world that is going to stop me from reporting your ass when you tell me that you found a dead body and do didn't do shit about it, right. and you're not there giving witness statements to the fucking cops, being right. like, like there, <laughs> there's so many things that you could like, and this is just me being weird now. You could have said, "Oh, I found the body, and I was performing CPR." That's why I'm covered in blood. That's why I have all the blood on me. Call 911, like, while I'm at this, like, if you want to be fucking really sadistic about it, and be like, oh, 
I walked in to return this and I found this lady and she was covered in blood. I tried to do CPR because her heart would stop and that's what I think that you're supposed to do. Fuck. Right. Guess what? There's your goddamn alibi. Right. And then, then, then you could say, oh, the man with the tracksuit and the duffel bag. Like, right. can we get any more, like, Russian mafia-looking motherfucker? <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Like, who in the... F- like, nobody in this fucking area wears tracksuits. Well, I, I guess I can't speak on 1999. I was going to say, I don't know. We might have had some tracksuit-wearing peeps, right. but... But, like, in a let's duffel just... bag? Like, I just don't get it. Like, until it was beneficial for you, you hid this. Right. And, like, let, let's not get it twisted. You didn't fail to report. You hid Right. And I, uh, God, if I was that family, I'd be like, fuck you too. Right. Fuck, like, not only just, not only fuck your husband, but fuck you too. And I would be, I would be like her on stink on shit and being like, I don't give a shit what you, like, give me your money. Or like, what, like, you're, our fuck money, you're going to jail. Right. For, like, for the bare minimum obstruction of justice, admit, aiding and abetting. Right. Like I'm sorry. Once you accessory after the fact. Once you know that there was a crime committed and somebody died, you. It's like every fucking nurse knows you're a mandated reporter on certain things. Well, There's certain without, things that we have to fucking do. And I'm sorry, finding a dead body is a fucking mandated. Like you have to. Like it's not just your God-given right. It's fucking like. You have to. Like, there's no if, ands, or buts about it. You have to fucking tell somebody. Right. I'm I mean, done. The problem, I think, is without her coming forward when she did, even if it was self-serving, they wouldn't have cracked this case. And so, for that reason, I think she got a free pass, but I don't, I don't give necessarily a shit. agree with it. I don't give a shit. You sat on this information for three fucking years. Well, I didn't say I agreed with it. I'm just I know you that's didn't. how it happened. I know, but like, I, I don't give a shit if you're a fucking, if you are a nun and a Catholic, like, whatever. Like, Catholic priests have to tell if they, like, in, it fucking, there, there's a murder. In confessional. Like, there's certain things that are protected, quote unquote. Finding a dead body isn't one of them. I'm pretty sure. Having blood from a fucking person or, oh, I'm sorry, an animal, quote unquote, animal. On the side of a road. Motherfuck. God damn. Like this pisses me. Like if it's. There's two things that piss me off with this podcast so far. One. People getting out of jail free for fucking playing nice. <laughs> like pretending to play nice and not learning a goddamn thing. And redoing crimes and shit. And then fucking people that know shit. And don't say shit. Right. Like I don't care. I don't care if it's my fuck. Like you could be the Pope. And fucking come in with that bullshit story of fucking, oh, I found a dead body in the Vatican and it was bloody, but I didn't do nothing. Motherfucker, no. Jesus will be like, Jesus will be your retribution. You will, like, I'm sorry. It's just so stupid. Like, this whole story, the whole bullshit story, lie, whatever the fuck that they're trying to tell themselves is un. God, like, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to the point that it's not even comical anymore. It's sad. Like, how, like, okay, I'm done now. Like, this is the second time I said I'm done, but I'm really done. Let's continue on. So, the divorce. But, But, I mean, god damn. Are you really done No, yeah, I'm done. The divorce between Edward and Dawn was granted on December 15th, 2003. But it was one of those, like, I forget what they're called, like bifurcated divorces or whatever, where child custody, visitation, and property distribution was going still yet to be determined. So they were divorced. Yeah, I'm sure they still had the proceedings were still going. I'm sure they still had to go to like mediation and shit like that to find like like marital property and stuff like that. The defense presented voicemail messages in which they state that Dawn is threatening Edward if he did not drop his attempts at getting custody of their girls. However, Dawn said that that was not her voice on the voicemails. I don't believe that, but whatever. The defense pointed out that after Edward's arrest, she was granted full custody of their daughters and retained ownership of their home. The defense also presented a jailhouse informant who stated that another suspect currently in jail for shooting a different store clerk 
admitted to the murder of Amy Blumberg. No forensic evidence, however, could connect this suspect to the murder. So that's an interesting defense. I mean, I believe he's guilty, but I will say, like, he has somewhat of a decent defense. The forensics aren't great. They have this jailhouse informant claiming another man admitted to it who committed a similar crime. And then they have this bitter ex-wife theory, which isn't completely wrong. I still think he did it, but I think the only reason she came forward was to make sure that she got custody of her daughters. Right. So, That's, I mean, the defense like, isn't terrible. The defense isn't terrible, but... I don't believe it. I don't believe a damn word of it. But it's not the worst defense. It's certainly, you know, I don't know if it presents reasonable doubt, but it definitely makes you think for a second. On April 11th, 2007, the jury began its deliberations. On the 12th, the jury said they could not reach a verdict. The judge encouraged them to continue their deliberations, and they did that. The next day, on April 13th, 2007, so we are now more than seven years from this murder, the jury returned a guilty verdict. Following his conviction, Edward Phillips told Amy's parents, quote, I am standing here looking you in the eyes, telling you I did not kill your daughter, end quote. Edward Phillips was sentenced to 55 years in prison for Amy's murder. He continues to this day to maintain his innocence and appeal his convictions. He still says that his ex-wife set him up. He is currently housed at Menard Correctional Center. He will not be eligible for parole until 2060, at which time he will be 94 years old. I think the jury got it right, but... I think the jury got it right. The defense I, was... The interesting the defense on this one was like a good defense like i'll give it to them like they had enough stuff where i would have like you would have had to think about i it. would have had to think about it but then you would like look at all the evidence that was presented right granted only one hair fiber ties him to the to the crime scene Right. I think it's more his own stupid actions. It's, right. That's, if he didn't run around running his mouth, right. he probably would not have been convicted. This probably wouldn't have even made it to jury. Like if they like at arraignment they would have been like, There's not enough evidence here. Right. But the fact that you mouthed off to everybody, including your fucking ex wife. Right. Like and I don't even know who I'm more pissed well, at. Well, and this if point. it was just her word against his I don't even know if this would have made it to trial, but then you've got her father, their neighbor, his friend. Like, you've got all these different people that he told similar stories to, basically the same <laughs> story. But then, you know, with other people, he even adds to it and says, oh, I met a girl. And he, he told the cops the same story. Right. You know, like, I'm not going to get into it because I'm going to get flustered and we're at the end of the story, so... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. This story bothers me for a lot of reasons. And as much as I don't like that she held on to this this long, and I she had to have known he was involved. Come on. I do. Once again, I don't give a shit if she knew she was involved, if he was involved or not. She knew that he found a dead body that was covered in blood. Right. And came up really, as the kids are saying, sus. Right. Like... At that point, like, I'm, I, I can't. I'm, too, I'm so like, I'm angry to the point where I'm just, I'm done. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is though, like, maybe she was scared of him and didn't feel safe until he was in jail, because then he went to jail for all this other shit he did while they were getting divorced. Okay, maybe, but it doesn't seem like there was ever. An, I don't know. I could be wrong. I don't know if there were allegations of abuse. Between the two of them, you know, but it just seems well, like it, it was a convenient thing that she held on to, which I mean, the other thing I guess we have to consider, too, is spousal privilege. And how would that have played into this had she come forward right away? I don't know. At that point, though, like he's told numerous people. Right. But I mean, if she had been the only one that came forward, I don't think this case would have went to trial 
if they didn't have other sus um, other witnesses to corroborate it. But as much as I dislike that she didn't come forward sooner, if she had never come forward at all, right, he would still be free. So well, and you know I've been harping on his ex wife a lot. Shame on everybody that he told that story to. Yeah, shame on ever. I don't care if you think it's the freaking crazy talkings of an old man like gee like come on yeah like if somebody tell like i don't i'm and i know that like if somebody tells me that there was a dead body and i saw him and i don't even care if i like and i know that they, there's still an open case about it i'm gonna like come on now right at least let the cops know throw them a bone don't hold on until the information until you're you know, they could have even reported it anonymously, you know, just like through Crime Stoppers. Like, hey, there's this guy. This is his name. This is where he lives. He claims to have seen Amy or he claims to have been in the store or whatever, you know, but right. they didn't. And she could have done that anonymously, too. I don't know. It's frustrating. She did do it anonymously, I thought. Well, at first. She went through her lawyer. But I'm saying she could have done that anonymously in January 1st, 2000. Well, yeah. You know, but she didn't. Um, so this is this is just a kind of a crazy story. It's a story where I wouldn't be surprised if we haven't heard the end of it. Just because it is pretty much a circumstantial case. And it does involve some pretty concerning things. Like this being in the middle of their divorce and... Right. I mean, there is so many things that, yeah, point. It's. I do sincerely hope, though, that Edward Phillips spends the rest of his life in prison. Yeah, me too. You know, I think he definitely deserves it. If you guys want to see the pictures and the uh, references for this episode, head on over to our website at www.themidwestcrimefiles.com. Make sure to like and follow us on Facebook. If you would like to have access to the Patreon exclusive episode that came out earlier this week or any of our other Patreon exclusive episodes, please consider becoming a Patreon member. And like Chris said, content as well. I did secure a PO box and have sent some letters out um, to some people that I would like to interview. And I'm hoping to get responses that um, those will also be available on our Patreon website. Yep. And we're also going to ask everybody that if you would like a T-shirt or a vinyl sticker or a hat or a coffee mug to support the Midwest Crime Files, head on over to our store. Um, That is on our website as well, www.themidwestcrimefiles.com. And until next time, I think that's about it. Before we end it, I want to add Crime Stoppers number for the National Line, 1-800-222-TIPS. That's 1-800-222-TIPS. I'm sorry. If you see something, say something. If you see something, say something. But with that, guys, I think we're going to end it. So we will see you guys next week. Bye.